as I expected, Mary Poppins is practically perfect in every way. You'll be good enough to explain all this. First of all, I would like to make one thing quite clear. Yes? I never explain anything. I'm, I'm picturing like a, a suicide silence concert and their singer invites Dick Van Dyke on stage to do guest vocals. <laughs> and then Dick Van Dyke is like in the middle, whenever he gets done with his part, he just jumps down and starts helicopter arms. Just, oh yeah. You know, fantastic. yeah. Dick Van Dyke is a notorious crowd killer. <laughs> Everyone knows. <laughs> Even at his ripe old age of like 94, seven, whatever it is. Yeah. But if I'm anything, that makes him more metal killer. because he's the closest to death. <laughs> <laughs> and yet he's pushing everyone. I think we just found our pre-roll scene, our, our, our post-credit scenes, boy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to live to regret that one. Um, anyway, welcome to Midweek Matinee, uh, an absolute oh, off-the-rails show. I'm sorry, Brett, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> My brain, my my brain lapsed on me. For some reason, I thought we hadn't clapped, and I was like, "This is going to be a fucking disaster if we didn't clap." But we did, uh, and apparently, me just thinking about Dick Van Dyke moshing has ruined my brain. So please continue and restart. Feel free to do what you want. I'll just sit in shame over here. Uh, that's good. Um, welcome to Midweek Matinee, the show where we put the mental image of Dick Van Dyke crowd killing into the heads of dozens of viewers each week. Uh, today, I am joined by Blake. What's going on, everybody? Uh, now, disappointingly, we couldn't get Blake Shelton, so we're settling for uh, Blake <laughs> uh, PBR, Pabst, Pabst. Okay. Um, yeah. We also have <laughs> Chris Figs. Hello, everybody. How you doing? <sighs> and I, I, I'm great. Thank you for asking. Sound great. Yeah. I, I mean, thank you. Like, I know that, but it helps for you to say that. Of course. I want you to be confident in yourself. Yeah. Uh I, I mean maybe next time we can have like a Skype window open with video feed so you can tell me I look great too. That that really that really helps. Uh, I'm sure you look great. <laughs> and lastly, but not leastly, uh the person who Tim Allen tool times his way through the apocalypse while the rest of us just sort of fuck off and think about platinum trophies we want to get. <laughs> we have Brett. I did not hear my name, but I'm going to go ahead and go with a. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm Brett. Thanks. So, thank you. For, that was a. You know what? I was going to say that I keep being last with you, Josh. So I'm starting to feel like least. But then you gave me that great Tim the Tool Man. You know, I, nothing feels better than knowing that you've apparently accomplished something while the rest of you have just been sitting on your fat, lazy asses. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I can't even grow like a misery beard. So I really have truly zero accomplishments for this uh, oh, quarantine. That sucks, man. I'm totally on my quarantine beard. I actually, my wife was like running her hand through my beard and was like, why you haven't shaved in a while. <laughs> and I mean, I haven't trimmed up at all. I said, yeah, it's my quarantine beard. Yeah. I don't trim it until we can all go back out and live our full <laughs> lives. <laughs> I yeah, actually just shaved everything but the mustache. So I'm oh, rocking wow. the mustache. Ooh, the- I, I didn't need to hear about the rest of your body, but I mean, I guess thanks <laughs> yeah, for that, that everything. <laughs> I meant facial hair. <laughs> smooth as a baby. <laughs> no, Speaking of smooth as a baby, this week's episode is Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. Dick Van Dyke is pretty smooth. That's okay. You might you might have saved it. I like my dick smooth. You know what I mean. <laughs> We can cut this out, but speaking of childlike innocence. Wow. <laughs> think Disney will uh, promote us now? <laughs> I sure hope so. Yeah. We promote better be on or the blacklist. I, either way, it's free press. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Dick Van Dyke. Do you want to keep escalating this? Because I, <laughs> like, I had one that I thought about. And I was like, I don't want that in public. But. You know what? We're, we're, we're too far. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, refugees from uh, Jeffrey Epstein's plane. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> A movie that should be in everyone's little black book. <laughs> <laughs> so this movie uh, came out 1964. I don't have most of the other stats for it, but even as a total layman to it, uh, I understand that it was a decently significant deal the way this movie combined live action and uh animation and uh i think that's one thing a lot of people remember about it as they look back on it historically and that's one thing that people who love the movie probably enjoy about it and i think as we'll get into in this discussion might contribute to it being difficult to watch with modern eyes so um i'm gonna start with blake uh what was your initial kind of take on this movie I um I actually really did not enjoy watching this movie at all. <laughs> but yeah. you know, you mentioned the animated scene being what might be hard to watch with a modern lens. That's actually like the only scene that I liked, I think. Mm. Or like really liked because I thought sure. they did it really well. And we can talk about more about why I think that scene is really good later. But Yeah, yeah I just I'm not a big fan, I don't think. Yeah. Okay, just didn't really hit you. No, and I thought I'd seen this as a kid, and I think maybe more it's more of a, um, maybe I've just seen a lot about it since I was a kid, mm. if that makes sense, because there was a lot of this movie that I did not know existed. Whereas, right. like, there were certain songs that I know I'd heard before, but overall, I think this may have been my first full watch. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Chris, what about you? Um, I was kind of in the same place as Blake. I, I liked it. Like, I recognized the movie for its merits, but it was a... I'm not a big musical guy outside of West Side Story, which is my one of my favorite movies of all, Interesting. Of all time. But it just didn't it just didn't hit me. I watched it in chunks. Mm. <laughs> just like I... But... And I ended up powering through it today. So it, it was fun. It would be fun as, like, kind of like ever people watch The Office in the background. Like, having that, I could see myself having Mary Poppins playing in the background. Mm. But, like, sitting and watching it, like, for this, it was kind of a little much for me, personally. Right. All right. Brett, what about you? Uh, I'm actually a lot... I'm I'm probably closer to uh, Chris than I am in Blake on this. Uh, I enjoyed it, and I actually found that the longer I watched it, I enjoyed it more. Mm. But I'm not going to act like I just loved every second of it. Uh, Much like Chris, I'm not one for... uh, musicals definitely ones that are aimed at being more broad stroke uh, appeal for children right um, 
you know, a lot of the musicals that I really like are like Doctor Doctor Horrible Sing Along Blog or mm. something like um, uh, something like um, Sweeney Todd. Uh, you know, the, yeah, the Johnny Depp one. That's a fantastic one, but it so handles good, yeah. a much more serious matter. The the music has much more varying tones than I feel like you typically find in a kids one. Uh, and it seems to me that like the music in a lot of the child friendly things, it's almost like they're trying to take certain subjects and just make them to where you can still talk about them and brush on them and they're not all like this but it's almost like they try and put some heavier subject matter in a song to make it still entertaining for the kid who doesn't understand the greater meaning mm-hmm. um, but yeah uh, I think um, much like Chris it I don't know that I would really watch it again but seeing it on the TV I don't necessarily like if I just was in passing I may sit and watch like 10 or 15 minutes of it or glance at it Mm -hmm. occasionally Uh, but I think my biggest takeaway is that the movie is just long for no real reason I feel like (laughs) Yeah. yeah that's the only that's, that's my only serious complaint like you know because you have to contextualize the movie to the time period but there's so many scenes that just go on for so long with that i feel i add nothing to the movie right uh, i feel like it'll it'll hit a point where it reaches what it can really do and then it just goes on handily past that doing the same thing before eventually just moving along but that's how i felt about it so now the last person here is uh is you since you suggested the movie i'm definitely curious to see what you thought of it yeah uh so this was not my first ever viewing but like my first viewing that i remember i've seen it like i i watched it when i was like a really little kid maybe like once or twice but i have no like clear memory of it other than it just being on um so yeah, I was definitely interested to revisit it. It's it's just one of those big ones that comes up and you know is part of a long list of movies that I want to see with fresh eyes. Um, and yeah, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I was I think most we'll get into a lot of the specifics on this, but one of the things that really most kind of uh, really surprised me about this one was the amount of social messaging and how. Uh, blunt some of it was honestly uh yes especially yeah. for uh, a disney movie from the 60s you know if anything i'm inclined yeah. to think that mm-hmm. disney 50 years ago is going to be more conservative than they are today so i am surprised to hear a lot of this stuff brought up especially considering you know how much less talked about i imagine a lot of the subjects might have been um but I mean, from the suffragettes, which initially I thought was being used as a punchline, and I realized it was like, no, it's like it's it's surface level, and it's not really saying anything other than acknowledging that this is a thing that's happening. But it was like a pro women's rights kind of thing, and I found yeah. it interesting how it, you know, go ahead, do you have a comment to that? You know, the women's rights song kind of shines a light on more recent Disney like shying away from taking a stand on anything like that mm. you know like their most recent movie mm-hmm. was like we have a gay character but i haven't seen it so don't quote me on this but it apparently is like just in passing like my wife and that's literally it if you're talking about or whatever it is uh oh i didn't see yeah it i read an article <laughs> about it but a lot of this a lot of disney now seems to shy away from that kind of thing but just kind of include it as like here just stop asking there it is but we're also not going to talk about it and we're only going to include so much that we can cut it out and nobody will know in other countries so i felt 
I thought it was done really well in this movie. It didn't feel like it was obviously very blatant and in your face, but it didn't feel sure. like it was ham fisted in just for the sake of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, to me, it felt like we view you as a friend and we see that you're fighting for something and you're not just like rabble rousing for no reason. And right. yeah, I, yeah, I was really surprised to see it presented that way because I totally, as soon as I saw like the banner on her, I was kind of like, oh no, is she going to be a punchline? Well, now that's interesting. I have a little bit of something to say on that because unless I just really did miss something that eventually came to fruition, I think it came back around in a way that tried to be a little bit more pro in a way that wrapped up in a slightly nicer way. But I do feel like the majority of the movie, it was kind of presented in a way that was like, she was so into it and for it until she knew her husband was coming home and it was like, hide it. You know, it makes him upset. Don't do it. Mm. Uh, I'm going to be the subservient wife. She's doing that through most of the movie. And then the movie just happens to turn around and be like, Oh, he's not so bad after all. Golly gee. I think that could be a statement in and of itself is like the fact that she felt she needed to hide it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And, and, and that's the thing is trying to contextualize it with the time period in which it was happening in does make it. Well, I mean, and of course, this is a movie that was filmed in the 60s, but I think it's supposed to be set much prior to that. So it's, yeah. you know, it's supposed to be set during actual suffragette stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, but it was weird to me that if they put so much into it just for it to kind of be a punchline, I felt like that's really what it was. Mm. Uh, except for finally at the end when she kind of gets, you know, her <laughs> upcoming, I, I, I don't know, but go ahead. Sure. And I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't say that the issue itself had like a big, like, uh, statement as far as its presence in the movie. I was just more like at this point acknowledging that there's like uh, a social justice fight happening and it not being like the thing that you point and laugh at in a movie from the 60s is a surprise to me mm. in itself. Um, sure. Yeah, for sure. The only thing I'll say about it a little bit further and then I'll probably wrap up my thoughts on that in particular because I did have notes about this. Yeah. Um, and even my wife did and she was the one who because we were watching it together as a family mm-hmm. uh, she actually made the comments out loud which surprised me because I was like well you know maybe I'm just thinking of this from a man's perspective and I'm too biased to fully see it for what it may be but she even you know at one point she was like what in the world? She's like this. She's like so it looks like the, the, in one part it's like here's this wife who as far as we can see has no job no gainful employment uh, and is just the wife of a, of a financial rich man essentially you know a wealthy man mm-hmm. and yet she can't be bothered to stay at home and ever take care of her kids it seems but instead it's like the movie is talking about the suffragette and using her as like the vehicle for oh well, she's going out there and not being the stay-at-home mom and doing more with her life and wanting more and mm-hmm. then yet the movie is centered around mary poppins who is the antithesis to that she's with the kids constantly sure and showing what a positive and you know role model experience can be to these kids who were otherwise somewhat misbehaving prior to Mary Poppins coming in. So I thought it was just a weird way that the movie kind of played on both of those. It's like it was trying to show one thing while also either purposely juxtaposing it or not realizing that they were doing that and kind of, you know, I'd be curious to know if who was behind this and the thought process was aware of that and did it very purposefully or not. Right. Yeah. And real quick, for what it's worth, I feel like both the parents were presented as kind of uh, goofily inept as far as their parenting Mm -hmm. duties. Um, 
So I, I, I'm not saying that like the presence of that particular social commentary is uh, total like justification of everything that character does. I was more just commenting sure. on I'm surprised this thing is presented and that it's not a punchline. But yes, I totally agree that like yeah, sure. what she specifically does isn't like stuff where I'm like, yep, that's the best you could be doing in that situation. But yeah. <laughs> but I also want to comment on one thing Brett said um, that Mary Poppins was like the opposite of that and showing why the mother is needed or a motherly figure at least, you know, to make the mm. kids like behave and be good or whatever. Because I think Mary Poppins was more, and this might be getting ahead of ourselves, but to show the dad that they need a father figure. Yes, that makes sense. I do agree with that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the movie definitely touches on that uh, yeah. at the end when her, her bird yeah the end for sure umbrella handle is speaking to her so yeah (laughs) yeah i I mean that was the thing that i was most surprised by of the the many different social messages that came alongside this or just throughout this movie the biggest one that i was really surprised was like disney put this out in a movie and it's like a classic and they don't like shy away from it to this day of like essentially they make the pursuit of wealth and like capital as like a a rabbit race it's it's a jail cell it's literally a jail cell when mr banks is walking to get chewed out by the bankers and he's walking and the columns in front of this bank are huge bars and it's like every presentation of it is like oh we've seen mr banks as this you know this guy who's just like oh my god he's just so straight and narrow and he just has no concept of bigger picture or what's actually important he's just wrapped up in this thing and then you see Mm when he gets to that point where it's sort of like you know he thinks he's about to lose his job and he kind of realizes like oh shit like the the thing that i should have been worried about was my family and it's right in front of me and i've been missing that like when that finally hits him and he realizes Mm -hmm. like I, i was just so surprised that this movie essentially presents a narrative of like you're allowing wealthy people to use this sort of cultural fomo to get you to run this rabbit race where you will never be at their level, but they will always sell you that idea so you will stay invested in it. And there were so many different yeah. ways mm-hmm. that this movie represents that. And I was just like amazed that a Disney movie was like, you know, addressing that. So it was just really interesting to see. Definitely more so in the fact that the movie actually does touch on it. Not only does it present it as something that you could see in that light, but it, the movie actually has dialogue that supports that viewpoint of it to where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, they are actually making a statement in regards to this instead of just introducing something that you could pull your own from, you know. Uh, so I thought that was cool as well. Yeah. Go ahead, Blake. Oh, I was just going to throw one off that I don't think Disney would ever make a movie like this now you know with these kind of themes and messages that it's trying to portray yeah i think it's it's too pointed in a sense i mean disney being this huge conglomerate that owns everything now mm-hmm. you ha- they have to try and appeal to the masses and one of the problems that you're going to have when trying to appeal to the masses is trying to make everything washed down just so much to where even if there's something that's somewhat endearing it's got to be something that's got a touchstone for every potential age group and and every potential yeah. race and every mm-hmm. potential culture and every potential you know so yeah it's I, I definitely think that this movie does a lot to not uh shy away from that sometimes even to the detriment of certain people my wife uh had a hard time watching it because 
she has a hard time watching something that's just steeped in British, uh, you know, the British accent so strongly. Mm. And it's not like she hates it. It's just, I get it. You don't hear it all the time. And it's something that's hard mm-hmm. to listen to because it feels like you're hearing something that's familiar to you, the English language, but hearing it in such a crazy way that it feels like you're not hearing it accurately. <laughs> but right. my point being is that's one of those things where I feel like a lot of movies these days have people that are kind of just you have a little bit of everybody you, it's, you have one person that has the british accent but hey if you don't like the british accent there's a guy over here with a jamaican accent if you don't like the jamaican <laughs> accent there's a guy over here with just a straight run-of-the-mill straight-laced guy and that's just a normal accent you know it's just uh there's something to it though i, I do agree that this movie chooses to brush up and have something to stay in enough uh spots that it would feel weird to see disney do now out of fear of losing money right yeah um i was just gonna say that I think this movie was all like if it wasn't for all the musical aspects and even the animation scenes then I think this is almost a movie for adults like all of the themes and lessons are for adults mm-hmm. like besides maybe clean your room mm-hmm. you know what I mean <laughs> yeah but <laughs> even still <laughs> sure. yeah I need some adults yeah clean, clean your, room. your fucking room <laughs> wash your hands clean your room don't touch your face Brush your teeth, sing happy birthday when you wash your hands. (laughs) Twice. But yeah, it just felt like everything that this would have, like all the lessons and things it was trying to teach would have gone over all of my kids' heads. Sure. Right. I think that that's almost interesting because it's almost the perfect example of how to make a kid's movie and an adult's Mm. movie. You know, people talk about, oh, this animated movie is so great because the adults will get the dick (laughs) jokes. But, like, in this one, it was more like, this movie's great because the adults will get the issues that we're discussing, and the kids will get yeah, to sing right, songs. For sure. I mean, that was the thing that really stood out to me, and I feel like is very much a culturally relevant thing, where the adults had stuff to learn from the kids, where we see the kids consistently being denied any agency, they weren't allowed to have personalities, and we see that sort of we see how that sort of expectation to fit a mold affects Mr. Banks and his ultimate kind of coming to terms with that. And we see him trying to impose that on his kids. And obviously that's a thing that kind of applies to everybody is like, you know, everyone wants what's best for their kids. And it's, it's gotta be difficult as a parent to justify like that right blend. How do you find the right balance of allowing them to be themselves while also preparing them for a life of adulthood? So like in Mr. Banks, we see someone going way too far to try to stifle all of that. But then in this movie, we kind of see like the pushback of like what is valuable about that sort of free spirit and what adults Mm -hmm. have to ultimately to lose by losing sight of that. And, you know, in Dick Van Dyke's character, we see how one can embody that still in adult life. Which Dick Van Dyke character, right. though? <laughs> <laughs> right. Because as soon, I, this is also my first full watch of the movie. I've seen bits and pieces throughout my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as it got around to Mr. Dawes, I was like, is that Dick Van Dyke again? <laughs> yeah, I was kind of wondering was. if that was like a reveal. But Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that, that was a... I don't know. I, I really... I, I loved the way it explored that, and I think it's really cool that they found a way to make a movie that, on the surface, is yes, it's it's a kids sing along movie, but also has the adult messages. But that's also like part of the message of the movie is like, hey, adults, like, don't forget that like there's a lot we can learn from kids, and there's a lot that they do that like we as adults don't have to shy away from. Like, we should still want to be curious and mm-hmm. 
you know, have fun. Like that, those things shouldn't be four letter words like in adult life. But yeah, if, if no one has any uh, additional things on that, um, things I kind of noticed going through, and we'll get to the animated section very shortly because I'm curious how that hit you guys. But um, I, I'm curious. Um, there are a lot of scenes that I thought might have had sort of like buried like hints at meanings, but I wasn't sure if it was just me who was seeing that. So the guy they're visiting, uh, the, the old dude who's like laughing in the ceiling. Um, the Mad Hatter? <laughs> ah, yes. Is that it, the It guy? is the voice actor of the Mad Hatter. Yeah, just so you're aware. Okay, that's where I know his voice from. Shit. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so great that they had him floating in the air, acting a fool and drinking tea. It's like it was almost a callback <laughs> to his character, which is something I really do like about this movie is mm-hmm. it seems like it wears a lot of inspiration on its sleeve. But yeah. We'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious if that scene struck you guys at all the way it struck me, which was I felt like that was sort of a representation of how the elderly and the mentally ill are sort of at some point left on their own and we don't always know what to do with them. Um, and I, I don't know if it read that way just to me or if anyone else felt that way, but like to me it felt like, you know, we don't know what to do with him. He's having a really bad fit. Like it's been going on for a while. Like that sort of conversation that, um, that the two of them were having before they go in the room and try to ultimately like, you know, they try to bring him down and then they end up going up to his level and the whole thing that happens in there, that conversation really mirrored a lot of conversations. I hear people having about their elderly relatives who are sort of a little bit losing touch with reality. And it's like, you know, you love them and you want to be there for them, but on some level you're kind of not sure how to help them, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I could see that being something there. Uh, and I feel like that's something you'd never know for sure unless you spoke with someone who was involved in that and kind mm. of got their take on it. Uh, and while I definitely could see it being there, I kind of view it. I, I think it might. I think it may be a reach accidentally. Like it, it's definitely something you could take from it, and it's one of those great things where art is subjective, so you can pull something entirely different from someone else. Yeah. But I, a, a, what I feel like the goal was was just doubling down on the movie's message about. Uh, not losing touch with your inner child Uh, Mm -hmm. and it's like this guy was just a representation of that um now the only part that kind of doesn't jive with that as well as i'd like is like it seemed like dicks van dyke's character um and also the children were all in on it like as soon as they got in there they were having fun the only thing that seemed weird is it, it seemed a little out of character for mary poppins to be the one who seemed to be like the debbie downer about it all yeah Uh, so unless that was tapping into what you're speaking of josh and trying to be like her taking it serious in a different manner Mm -hmm. i don't know but it did seem to me like it was just an example of like hey look here's an older gentleman who is not lost and of course dick van dyke's character constantly is a is a reference to that as well but i think it was just someone to the even more extreme of like look at this you know goofy man who's having a good time and telling these goofy jokes and you know just having a good time and but who knows you know i mean i i guess i viewed it as it was a way to show the kids try and hammer home to the kids i'm like hey just because your father wants you to do one thing you don't have to but it's hard to say yeah i I guess what set it up for me that way uh and i won't go on and on about this but what set it up for me that way was that he lived in kind of a shady area of town and it it wasn't 
squalor it was still like a it was a furnished home but like as far as like compared mm-hmm. to the sort of like sunny idyllic neighborhood we've spent most of the movie hanging out in it was a, a very different setting so that and him seeming like like him basically saying like he wants to stop laughing and he can't stop laughing made it to me seem a little bit less like the surface level sort of like fun remember to have fun kids and to me it made it seem a little bit more like a it's like a thing that he can't control in a way that's like kind of scary for him but um i could see that but it's like i guess again and i don't want to harp on this too much either i feel like the dialogue is at odds with itself in a lot of these ways of reviewing it my way and yours um i think the fact that he is the one who is completely aware of how to stop and what is required to stop and kind of Mm. tells everybody like you know the, the kids say well there's you know we're, we're stuck up here now there's no way down and he immediately without question says well there is one way down but yeah. you've got to think of something sad mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i yeah i, I, know, just I have something around this whole scene i have something that has nothing to do with what we're talking about so whenever we get ready to wrap this up if anybody else has anything to add uh, i'd like to quickly mention it but i mean i'd say hit me with it no. All right, so everybody else is good. Blake, you ain't got any comments on what Josh was talking about? Chris, you either? Oh, I was just going to say that I agreed with, not necessarily agree, it's not really agree or disagree, but I just saw, I saw the scene more as Brett did, as like keeping mm. your inner child and such like that. Uh, well, this is just more of a, you know, one of the things I mentioned of, and this is actually a two-way highway, so I think the movie often wears inspiration on its sleeve, but I think also the movie, from what I can tell, acts as inspiration for scenes in just as iconic movies that were down the line. Um, did it take anybody? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that we've all seen the movie I'm thinking about, uh, but it feels like the laughing, floating scene with a guy it feels very similar to what Willy Wonka ended up doing in yeah. the long run when they got into the uh, little bubble area where they drink the drink, the fizzy drink that makes them float. Um, it seemed structured very similarly. It seemed like the effects were done in a way that were throwing inspiration back at what Mary Poppins had done with the twisting and twirling and the yeah. adult with the kid and going up and there being a potential of, of course, Willy Wonka cranks it up to, hey, you're going to go through a fan that's going to chop you up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but still, it's like, you know, the, both of them say, well, you got to find a way to come down, and there's always a way to come down that's uh, interesting. I, it's not some big thing. I just thought it was interesting that it really looks like Willy Wonka, which is a very similarly uh, whimsical movie, mm-hmm. took some inspiration from this movie in that scene. It's just what it felt like to me. Yeah, I totally see that. All right, well, cool. Uh, let's go into the fucking chalk scene because I want to know what the fuck happened there. Um, so we, we get some life lessons, some uh, ways to gamify productivity so you don't dread everything you have to do as responsibilities in your life, which uh, are always relevant to me because I just dread <laughs> everything. Um, but yeah, so they're going out, they're they're hanging out with Dick Van Dyke's character and he's he's drawing and he's trying to get tips and no one is around to put copper in his hat by the way his british accent is god awful but i love it for that oh man i'm so glad that you said that one of my first notes was that dick van dyke's accent is so obviously fake in contrast to the rest of the authentic english cast yeah it just blows my mind that they chose to do that (laughs) it must have really liked dick van dyke's 
<laughs> like yeah that had to have been like a they chose him specifically and at no point was someone like his accent is so bad that we can't use him i said no we'll fight through and use it anyway i feel like it contributes to the endearingness of the character that his accent is so terrible true but uh yeah so he's drawing those chalk things and then he's like he's trying to like get the kids to go into the chalk with him and then mary poppins is like no you're doing it all wrong and then she like leads it and then they disappear into like a Literally, how am I supposed to read this scene other than like an opium trip? (laughs) (laughs) The scene, fun fact for everybody, they cut a scene from the movie. Originally, they filmed a scene where Dick Van Dyke's character gave the kids some tabs. Uh, So I just want you guys to know that. Uh, Yeah. they had to cut it because they said, you know, this movie is almost uh, two and a half hours. We've got to cut some scenes. And they said, you know what scene is just not necessary? <laughs> the one where Dick Van Dyke gives the kids uh, some drugs. So they cut it. More like Dick Van Dyke. Oh, <laughs> sick, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> but so, the, the whole yeah, the whole time in my head while I'm watching that scene, well, obviously it's... I, I, I can accept that the movie's being whimsical and I don't have to have a real world explanation for what's happening. And it could just be like imagination, but like literally to me, it felt like, and, and I, I'm trying to root for the characters and assume this isn't the case. But to me, it felt like cool. Mary Poppins pretends to be like all like high and tight when she goes to work. And then like, she goes and hangs out with this dude and they do drugs while the kids are go, <laughs> the kids are nowhere to be found for like 15 solid minutes. So yeah. it's just Actually, like, I, that's the one thing that caught me. I was like, she is over here supposed to take care of these kids and she just sent them away on their own in this world that they don't know that anything could happen in. I was just this waiting for it to irresponsible. cut. And like a giant fucking cartoon spider was going to be like eating the kids. <laughs> just wrapping them in we need to hire an animator so we can do our little animated edits to scenes that we want to see differently in movies. Or, or it's like we get like one shot in the real world where it's like they're standing there holding hands still with their eyes closed just quietly giggling and passerby are just sort of <laughs> eyeing them suspiciously like what the fuck are they doing and then it goes back to the animated like craziness uh, yep another cut scene <laughs> I did um, yeah. I did really like this scene though like I know I said I didn't like much of the movie at all but this scene was really good and I think it was done extremely well like yeah. everything from like just little stuff like um, when they're riding the carousel uh, horses mm-hmm. you know and like the poles are scratching the ground mm-hmm. and it's like digging up the dirt yeah. and stuff. I just thought there was Dude, a lot of what, attention to detail that was really cool. What a detail. I'll put that exact same thing. Yeah. Like they could have so easily avoided that. There's no, nobody demanded that they do that, but it helps. That it little detail it. helps sell that scene so yeah. much more. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, that shit was great. And I mean, I, I loved the interaction between Dick Van Dyke and the penguins, like little things that he would do and like the call and response of his dance and like stuff he would do with his cane that like the penguins were doing. But like, obviously, you know, and, and same with like Mary Poppins, like her umbrella, like there was a lot of really cool, you know, yeah. I, I have no idea how they would have shot it at that time, but it worked fantastically no in works. the final product. So I actually have real trivia. I know I did my bullshit trivia just a second ago. Uh, But of course I was looking at this and I said, well, you know, green screen clearly didn't exist back then, at least not as it does now. So I thought, how did they do this? There had to have been something. And I know that, and this is just something I've known for a long time, blue screen existed since like the 40s, but it was just really not very efficient huh. and it would cause blue halos to show up around people. And that's why plenty of movies would try mm. and forego it if they could. Mm. Um, 
But apparently what happened here is that Disney, when they got the rights to this movie, uh, they got with an inventor uh, and an engineer. And that engineer, I can't remember his name, uh, he had the idea of, you know what? Uh, We really want to do these scenes and we want to find a way to make this work. We want to make it look fantastic. And what he realized is that if you take phosphate gas or something like that, I think it may have have been... um, I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, a, it was some kind of a gas. It emits a certain frequency of yellow light, and that is apparently what pioneered to kind of give us to what we have now as chroma, cre- uh, chroma key green. Uh, it's why it's so bright. But anyway, uh, what he did was put a white background and would cast the light from this uh, from this gas light onto it, and that allowed them to key in. He created a single. Uh, little prism that you'd put in the camera mm. and it would automatically remove the background in the camera. That Holy way shit. you could just do whatever you wanted to behind it. Uh, but one of the weird problems of the movie is he was only able, ever able to create that one prism. He couldn't recreate it. So it, they always only had one of those cameras. And for years, if people wanted to use uh, that effect in their movie, they had to fight over who actually got to use that camera. So cool oh, wow. little trivia. That's cool as fuck. Yeah, that's really cool. interesting. Yeah. And there's a couple of other spots that they use it. Uh, I was really interested in that, and I, I don't want to stray too far from the animated scene because I have plenty to say about that. Mm. Um, but the scene uh, when they're cleaning up the room and you see the little girl looking into the soldiers that have put themselves in the chest and they're popping in and out of mm. the toy chest. Uh, if you look, she's superimposed. It, it's not super noticeable, but if you look, she is superimposed. Yeah. And that's how they were able to work mm. that scene out. Uh, so they use that effect <clears throat> a lot. Uh, and it's really cool because the blue, of course, you couldn't wear anything blue, but that very specific yellow light, if you remember in the animated scene, Dick Van Dyke has yellow on and you clearly see it and it didn't delete it. So it was just a really great mm-hmm. engineering feat. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that specifically when the kid puts the the blocks away, you could see like the blue uh, outline huh. on it. So I think that's interesting, but I, I definitely see, I don't know if that. they used any blue light in this movie or blue back. I, I, maybe they did in certain scenes. Really? Um, I could just, you know, it was one of those things where you could tell that it wasn't there, but felt, it was also like, that looks really good I felt for like what they did. it was kind of claymation. Uh, and that's what it felt like to me. It's like yeah. they took it frame by frame and did that. Uh, but on the, uh, back to the animated scene specifically, um, I love that the animated scene goes even further to something that the movie does the whole time of just driving into that slapstick comedy that was so prevalent back in the I, you know it's weird that slapstick comedy now is viewed as like low hanging fruit right and like essentially it's considered mm-hmm. a low form of humor nobody really likes it uh, or goes towards it but some of the most classic things we have in cinema are slapstick humor yeah. Charlie Chaplin and back in the silent movies of course you have the Three Stooges which everyone knows and probably has seen something and it ages so well because it's timeless and then you have things like the Little Rascals mm-hmm. not only the ones that continue to be remade but like the original ones made back in black and white shooting yeah. um, it, it's great I love it and that just plays up so much more with you know it's just visual physical humor that the movie just leans super hard into even doing the little penguin uh dick van dyke and penguin interactions you know a lot of it's just ridiculous humor that ages well because it's not about anything too topical it's just yeah a gag that you understand so yeah i really dug that and and yeah for what it was worth i was i was ready for that animated sequence to be anything 
Um, because like, I, I mean, Alice in Wonderland is a movie where it's like, as much as I respect and uh, don't at all dispute its place as far as like historical films, like it's it's hard for me to watch that one because it goes so far into like the cartoon like absurdity, where it's it's like a and, and granted that's a specific case with that movie because it's especially weird, but it's like I find that can happen a lot when animation is not the main medium, but it shows up in older movies because just animation trends can vary so much, uh, you know, decade to decade and so on. But like, uh, I I was really surprised by how watchable it was compared to, you know, others like, I don't know. I mean, for whatever reason, I'm inclined to think of like the Beatles yellow submarine movie where it's just like something else from a similar time period where it's just like watching that is like, I feel like I've taken bad acid. (laughs) I'm going to say something that's probably a little bit of a, uh, I, I, I sure that a lot of people will not agree with me on this. Um, and I, there's ready arguments my pitch as fork. to why, <laughs> go ahead, sharpen it. Uh, I, I understand plenty of the reasons as to why this is the, why the movie was done the way it was, but I really feel like this movie would have worked a lot better as a fully animated movie. Uh, hmm. Or at least, I, I shouldn't say work a lot better. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's giving the movie enough credit where it does actually succeed. Mm-hmm. I just think the movie would have been more enjoyable and equally as whimsical, in my opinion, as a fully animated movie. Something more akin to like The Sword in the Stone, mm-hmm. where it's a clearly fully animated movie. But even though you're in an animated world, all these things happening don't suddenly become less interesting just because you went from live action to cartoon though i do think of course that was interesting um the only thing i'll give the the movie a lot of credit for is of course it it moved effects forward a lot because of the fact that they were trying to do this uh, as a as a majority live Mm -hmm. action film and of course blending that animation on top of real time and how they did that and it is gorgeous and there's a lot of attention to detail um but personally i just feel like everything in the movie would have worked so much better if the whole movie would have been animated but that's just me i I mean the whole time i was watching it i kept thinking you know this would be a lot more fun Mm. and fitting for how animated everything is but i'm sure a lot of people like the whimsical nature of seeming grounded in reality but constantly denying constantly going and and defying that expectation yeah so i don't know i think i could see it both ways but the animated scene was also probably my favorite part Uh, yeah just like blake chris you got anything to add on that um no i mean i i did appreciate the animation a lot i thought it was really good uh i really liked the animation scene but it kind of uh it kind of is what sold me on my theory that the kids are just (laughs) in a fever dream (laughs) and none of this movie actually happens like I, I was just picturing it like they're either in like a crack den right now or like they're just lying in the park and like uh you know mary poppins and her her artist kind of fling are over in one part of the park and the kids are just somewhere else like just tripping staring at flowers do you think that that's like an actual theory for this movie is that when the kids got <laughs> lost going for, after their kite they actually got like lost in the park and died and this whole movie is their brain processing their death <laughs> afterwards it's like they always wanted their dad to care more about them so their (laughs) mind resolves with them imagining their dad caring about them and acting so out of character oh that's so sad (laughs) so i just pulled up a buzzfeed article mary poppins is actually an extremely messed up movie (laughs) okay 
Tell us something we don't know, BuzzFeed. <laughs> Did you want to skim through that or, or not? Yeah, I mean, sure. So they're talking about how Bert was saying in the beginning of the movie that winds in the east, mists mm-hmm. coming in, like something is brewing about to begin. Can't put me finger on what lies in stall, but I feel what's to happen all happened before. That's a little unsettling. <laughs> sure. Oh, wow. I kind of took it as, of course, the Mary Poppins had come and helped another family before because, of course, he knew her already. Yeah. But this has just gotten way closer down a rabbit hole. Welcome (laughs) to the Conspiracy Theory Podcast where we dive into Mary Poppins. They're talking about how Mrs. Banks, a a suffragette, passionate about women's rights, except she's actually terrified of her husband. Though we adore men individually, we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. That's the quote that's on the image here. I feel like that was a an aware decision and an intentional thing of like you can advocate for change while you're in the situation. Sometimes you aren't fully, you know, master of your own reality before you're kind of fighting for your own betterment and betterment for people in predicaments I like think yours. That's fair. And I always liken it, liken it to the, and I know that uh, Blake probably sees this similarly as a parent. Uh, you know, kids will often be like, "Well, why can't I do this? You did this," and it's like, "Hey, I'm I'm telling you that I wish someone would have been able to can keep me from making this mistake, and I'm just doing my best to try and keep you from making the same mistake, just because mm-hmm. I did it, or even if I'm currently doing it, it mm-hmm. doesn't mean that I don't realize it's not a good thing. It's just I haven't mastered to how to break it yet. Like you know, when you tell your kids not to smoke or drink until they're of age, but they're like, "Well, you smoke every day. How are you going to tell me not to smoke?" Well. <laughs> yeah. Be, you know, it's just it, it is it's it's an interesting argument. But while we're on crazy theories, yes, I've got a conspiracy for you. The sugar lobbyist paid for the spoonful of sugar song so they could try <laughs> and convince parents and kids that a spoonful of sugar is healthy and that you can eat it every day. I, I thought that song was kind of weird. It was the medicine hey. lobbyist and the sugar lobbyist. They came together and paid Disney. Who's and that's heroin. why these themes are in <laughs> as much as big, like big sugar. As much as you're joking, the sugar Lots lobby sugar did so fucking much that I really honestly wouldn't be surprised. I'm joking and not all at the same time. Yeah. I actually do believe it's possible that the sugar lobbyists are like, hey, you know how you're making this really expensive movie with this new technology that costs a lot of money? What if we throw you a smooth $500,000 and you just say some good stuff about sugar? You want to, you want to take it a step further. What if this movie is propaganda for MK Ultra <laughs> to try and get people to take LSD so that they trip and have experiences like in Mary Poppins? I think you're on to something. But they're actually being I think now is a good time something. to mention right. that this show is brought to you by MK Ultra. Feeling low? <laughs> and sugar. <laughs> Looking for monotony while you're... This is your code word. Oh, God. Poppins. Would, please stop. Umbrella. <laughs> Delta. <laughs> We're going to just have like a number a station. For a split second. I don't know what just happened. The numbers, Mason. What do the numbers mean, Mason? <laughs> hey, real quick. Does yes. anybody... This is a, so far aside from everything, but since we're in ridiculous land right now, I'm going to stay here for a little bit longer. Uh, there's two things that I want to touch on. One of the things is, you know, the BuzzFeed article that said it's a really messed up movie. Um, yeah, I thought it was incredibly morbid in a way that totally just taps into my sense of humor that at the end of the movie when they're all flying the kites and the banker is like, oh, you know, uh, my father died laughing. Yeah. 
and it's like he's totally cool with it he's like here take my father's place by the way <laughs> yes. i was like I was that like, was weird such a, that's why you go back to that like is this a fever dream none of this feels even remotely grounded in anything right and the other one was uh whenever they're looking for mr banks and they thought he jumped in the river that the guy's on the phone and he's like no he seems like a pretty straight laced man you know no issues uh no hanky panky if you know what i mean and i'm like does hanky panky mean something totally different in either that time period or in britain culture because in my mind i'm like are you telling me this whole movie this man has been acting this way because he's not gotten laid since the kids were born or something oh my like, god <laughs> yeah um I, so to your point on that last thing that was sort of like a and I have a whole list of uh, observations, uh, some of which you guys may agree with, some of you guys, some of which you guys may think I'm fucking, I'm on the MK. Um, I've had too much right. of that sugar-free medicine, but uh, so a, a big point that it's sort of the last one on my list. But since we were talking about it, I, I feel like tying in uh, Mr. Banks's sort of, you know, his crushing defeat, and then that sort of elation he finds at the end of the movie. Uh, that sort of driving home the message of like actual like meaningful happiness being something you can kind of create and we see that in Dick Van Dyke's character throughout the movie we see that in a lot of the workers and while there's probably the argument to make that like some of it is like their version of spoonful of sugar in which case the medicine is their work and they just need like songs something mm -hmm. to like bring happiness into their lives but like mm -hmm. we see that a lot in Dick Van Dyke where it's like uh, similar to that um that that uh saying about like you know some people are so poor all they have is money where we see the people in this hierarchical business structure and none of them seem like they've ever had fun in their lives meanwhile dick van dyke who is penniless and doing a job that will kill him is like always in a good mood he's smiling he reaches out to people he's like a people in his community like even if they don't always like back him up financially like they seem to appreciate his presence and i think the kites are a great representation of that at the end. Something that's so like delicate and childlike, but is also this thing that like it brings people together and it kind of defies all logic because it's just like it's just this little cheap like flimsy thing made of paper and in this case like kind of stitched together with newspaper clippings. But it's like look how much joy it brings. Um, and you are uh, forgetting one thing though. What am Dick I Van Dyke's character lived a double life. While he was making no money being a chimney sweep, he was bringing it in, being the head honcho of this bank, good dog. So here's the thing. <laughs> was he actually, though, or was that just we, put, we cast Dick Van Dyke as two characters? Yeah, you think I'm kidding? For When they first showed it, since I'd never seen the movie, mm -hmm. I actually was like, are they going to do some kind of crazy pull-the-hat trick? And <laughs> they tried make-upping him in a way that didn't look like Dick Van Dyke, but we're going to learn this whole time it was Bert. Like, oh, God, look. <laughs> I, I was a little sad that that didn't happen, because otherwise, right. why did you cast him as a, a second character? Yeah, I, I don't know. It bothered me a, a little bit. Uh, but no, going back to your point, yeah, I, I definitely think that was the point of the song, right? She's telling them, hey, clean your room up. But if you look at it through the right lens, which in this sense is the metaphorical you know, spoonful of sugar, mm -hmm. uh, if you give yourself a little bit of a happy thought and you go through everything with that, then you can actually, like you say, you can manufacture happiness for yourself by your basic viewpoint of things. So if the father can just reprioritize and look at his life differently he can do everything he's been doing in terms of he can be a banker 
Yeah. And you can go out and be a prominent member of the community and actually become a wealthy person. Or even if it's not about wealth, maybe it's just about running the bank. He can still do so without having to live under the thumb of someone else as his goal of getting there. He can do it because that's what he wants to do and it makes him happy and he can restructure his life around that, which of course is what happens. And I think that that's the big point of him coming home singing the Spoonful of Sugar song. It's like he understands now. It's like, oh, the Spoonful of Sugar is just whatever you make it. You know, yeah. I, I brought in happiness and now I, I had a fun time doing this goofy thing and telling my boss this dumb joke. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and I guess to circle it back to your point of it being a really weird end cap that like, oh yeah, the old man died laughing because of your joke. Anyway, it's all good. Here's your job back. Like, that's such a weird thing. But it, it reminded me of that saying, uh, laugh hard at the absurdly evil. And that mm -hmm. sort of being like the, the ultimate sort of way to, if the victory is just being happy in the face of this, you know, the structure and the bureaucracy and the pollution and just this thing that is very kind of like crushing and just weighs on your soul. Like it's cool that, you know, I don't know, it can all tie together, but anyway. Um, yeah, I think that's all I had on that particular one. I got a whole ass list of bullshit, but Chris, what do you got? You got any more tinfoil hat shit from Buzzfeed over there? I mean, I have tinfoil hat shit from myself because this Let's dig into it. This whole, I watched this entire movie, and after the cartoon scene, I was sure that these kids were either insane or being so abused by their family that they were coming up with fucking uh, alternate reality superheroes that could save their lives. Because this whole movie, like, if you've ever heard the fan theory that Harry Potter mm -hmm. is stuck under the stairs... It's the same. F it's the yeah. same theory, just in this oh, movie. Oh, it's like the emotional <laughs> abuse is so much that they create a fictional yeah, because world where things happen differently for them. Yeah, right. I mean, and I don't. And you, you almost think of the beginning when all they want is someone to sing to them, play games with them. Mm -hmm. You know, all that kind of stuff where they just want someone nice, yeah. I guess. And, like, think about that. If that's your qualification for who looks after you is just be nice, like, I feel like the rest of your life has yeah, to be sure. really shitty. Well, and like we but, mentioned, the parents seem very woefully <laughs> under-prepared mm -hmm. to be parents. It's like they leave the raising of the children almost entirely to the nanny. Uh, so, yeah, right. I could definitely see that. You know, it's the nanny is somehow acting as both the mother and the father figure at the same time. Exactly. And then you almost look at, like, we've brought up the animated scene a bunch of times, but I did have the same thought that you guys mentioned where, like, the kids are gone for, like, mm. half of that scene. And, like, when I was watching it in my head, I was like, cartoon animals aren't going to kill the kids. Mary Poppins <laughs> fine. But then, like, when she took them out, she was going to see her ex-boyfriend. They walked away. They disappeared. They came back. They walked away. They cut, disappeared. They came back because Bert clearly knew Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. They both knew each other, and like I always got the vibe that they were they had been they had been <laughs> fucking. So like, it seemed to me like Mary Poppins was just looking for her time with her ex boyfriend <laughs> or her boyfriend, whoever he is. You know, so it almost seems like a movie where if you look at it under a certain light, it's all like these kids are just being abused at all times and no one cares about them and they're coming up with their own elaborate scenarios. Yeah, it was weird. Definitely how the majority of that scene had nothing to do with the children and it was just the two of them going out on some 
like crazy we got hyped up on some kind of intravenous drug and just passed out and had some fun together i mean i know we keep making that joke but it's really what it feels like i honestly think i wouldn't have felt that way at all if the kids had joined them in every one of the things like i find it weird that the kids are not there to partake with the whole dancing with the penguins thing that seems like something that you would (laughs) Mm -hmm. look at and be like oh look at the kids having a blast with this crazy whimsical thing that's clearly not you know really possible but in this crazy world it is and it's it it turns out this whole time they were just rolling around in this little thing (laughs) (laughs) it was just weird right requiem for a nanny you know (laughs) it is weird that the kids were gone for like it seemed like so long but really the movie is like two and a half hours so really them being gone for like five minutes isn't really that much of the movie that they're gone for i guess See, but I hard disagree because Mary Poppins is her, is their <laughs> nanny who should be watching them at all times. So realistically, every time Mary Poppins is in the movie, those kids should yeah, be with her too, or, or at least yeah, be constantly fair. being referenced. Yeah, that was what really struck me is like it's it's almost like the first half of the animated scene was all just supposed to be about Mary Poppins and Dick Van Dyke and nothing to do with the kids. Right, but the kids are the crux of the whole movie. And that's the thing is like you were talking about that scene and that scene more than anything else is Bert and Mary Poppins flirting. Mm-hmm. So like what's the what does that have to do with the kids? <laughs> also, you know? did anybody else get some Peter Pan vibes from that from like Mary Poppins is essentially Peter Pan. It's like a gender bend on that uh, idea where it's like, oh, Mary Poppins comes down and she's only around once in a while. And that's why Bert knows her and he's trying to like love her and get her to do all these things, but then realizes that he has to like, he has to let her go and she's just going to come whenever the wind changes. And that's why he mentions that it's all happened before. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) But for real, I I kind of, I felt that way because I was like, so she's almost like this ethereal being and then you just have Bert and it's like if you look I always took the animated scene like how they get into it it's like when the kids and Bert try and do it it doesn't work but the moment that Mary Poppins this ethereal you know being that's not bound by the real laws of anything then they can suddenly go in and do it are you saying Mary Poppins is an HP Lovecraft story? <laughs> sure, <laughs> I just because I would I would actually be, be interesting. Down with that. Turns out she's somehow related to Cthulhu and all of the <laughs> Lovecraftian horror things. She has to be summoned, and the kids actually performed a rite that summoned her. Yeah, you know this is getting very, very crazy. Here. There's a great little uh, I guess it's like a mini fanfic of Mary Poppins as a wizard in the Harry Potter world and she's like being like called in before the wizard court for performing uh, magic in front of muggles. I, um, I have seen that. And <laughs> <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hagrid, Hagrid does hide his wand in a... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, they broke his wand when he got expelled. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, oh, shit. Okay, so two things we'd be remiss not to mention and their names oh, are boy. Admiral Boom and Mr. Binnacle. <laughs> can we talk about the absolute insanity that oh like this well-off english neighborhood has this like sea captain guy with a cannon mounted to his roof and just like several yeah. times a day he fires it off so this is exactly what i was talking about and that's one of the things that makes me feel like this movie is just a live uh, it's it's just an animated movie masking <laughs> or masquerading around as a live action movie oh sure 
it's I, it's so ridiculous. I mean, it was funny and it was great comedic relief. <laughs> Definitely, whenever they they see the chimney sweeps dancing and you see him just shoving the fireworks in there, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't even look like it's going to do anything. Oh, well hit, son. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I really dug that. I feel like I'd be driven insane if he was my neighbor, but like I appreciate his dedication. The question that we haven't asked is, uh, what happens to all those cannonballs? Where does he fire them, and how many people have died? <laughs> also, I know it sounds, yeah, it sounds weird, but I blanks. was a little disappointed that whenever he shot the fireworks at the chimney sweeps, they did not go into a picture of the house with everything shaking in the house as they had done the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted that referential point of like, hey, you know, he's he's firing the cannon off schedule. Every other time they know it's coming and it's uh-huh. on schedule. So for him to have just randomly pulled it out and be like, now we have to shoot it. Yeah, firing at will. Yeah, it seems like you should see the people in the house being like, what in the hell is going on? This wasn't scheduled. Yeah. That almost makes me wonder if like, do those people like in living in that neighborhood, are they like, Oh shit, he was right. Thank God he has the guns. <laughs> For these scoundrels. <laughs> There's something happening outside, and I appreciate now that we have a sea captain shooting cannons off because there is a fight happening outside so I, of I've our home. I've got the perfect crossover, guys. <laughs> we can do this. Are you ready? Uh-huh. We're going to take the people from the lighthouse. Mm. We're going to take both Willem Dafoe's character <laughs> and Robert Pattinson's, and we're going to make them be the captain and the and the lackey and just have them being up there acting like complete fools in this neighborhood and i would love that i would it would just be so much better that's a fan edit waiting to happen fan edit i think we could probably pull it off you know what i mean <laughs> a deep fake. no just take scenes of them up on like the platform and whatnot and just how somehow put it in there but a deep fake would be fantastic and then make those scenes black and white for no real reason other than just to sell the sell the moment it's just Willem Dafoe in the background of the cannon roof, just <laughs> farting. Then at the end of the movie, Robert Pattinson is just yelling about farts. The farts are what's cut. causing the walls to shake. That's what happened. He's up there just <laughs> farting, and then you just see the everything knocking over. Um, oh, my God. You know, we didn't really talk about that, but I really... It kind of tied back into that slapstick sense of like a physical humor of everything going on. The cannon firing was all like every effect that it had mm-hmm. was all part of that. Like you know the uh, the yeah. piano sliding over, the mirror flinging on the wall and going side to side, and Mister Banks being so unbothered by it that he's swaying <laughs> left and right with the mirror so that he can make sure he looks right. Yeah, I mean everything, and even some of the things that obviously should have fallen, but they were shot in such a way that it you could tell that they were set up in a way where they wouldn't fall but that somehow made it more funny mm-hmm. yeah, yeah i loved when uh, one of the housekeepers like tapped on the wall and all of the slanted frames corrected themselves i really liked when um the he ends up sitting at the piano and he goes repair the piano i want it finally tuned and his wife goes you don't play the piano <laughs> and i love that his response my wife laughed so hard because this is some crap that i would say 100 percent I, I would do that because, of course, he he suddenly plays the notes, realizes it's out of tune, and then whenever she says that, he's like, yeah. "That's entirely beside the point." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really funny too. And there was a part of me that's like, "Yeah, I mean, your piano should be tuned. Yeah, if you don't play it, it, you might as well have it tuned. So that if you go to play it, <laughs> just have have pride in your stuff." <laughs> 
another thing I want to mention, uh, Julie Andrews is fantastic throughout this whole movie. Uh, she does a lot of, whether mm-hmm. it's over the top stuff or subtle stuff. I mean, there's a really good reason this character has been so widely parodied and represented in other things. It's just such an iconic portrayal and it's just so distinct down to mannerisms and phrases and all of it. So huge shout out to everything she does in this movie. Yeah, huge shout out. I gotta, I gotta wonder, uh, and I'm curious if anybody happens to know this, um, but I doubt it since we didn't do too much looking up of trivia. I wonder how much of the cast, definitely between Dick Van Dyke specifically and Julie Andrews, I wonder how much of it was allowed to be ad libbed, mm. and how much of the little nuanced things that you see her do that make it so <laughs> iconic. How much of that was entirely scripted and planned, and how much of that was the actor just embracing that character and just doing the things that we see and go, that's Mary Poppins or that's Bert. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if she's actually rolling her eyes at Dick Van Dyke, improving some weird ass lines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I could totally see that being the case. The music suit that, uh, Dick Van Dyke was wearing in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I want that. Mm-hmm. I want to own yes. that suit. <laughs> I just want to wear it yeah, the all the time. Band. Yeah. <laughs> the special effects in the cleaning scene I thought was really good. I guess it was like mm. maybe stop motion or something how everything was moving on its own you know that's about it really i mean most of my notes i've already said at some point i don't have a whole bunch of notes like i said i i don't think the movie was bad by any means i just didn't enjoy much of it at all so i don't i don't want to be a debbie downer and you know talk bad about a movie that i think was well made and that i think is a fine movie it's just not for me at all so i was just more enjoying y'all's conversation what uh that is a season one of serial level <laughs> I've ever heard one. Uh, hey, Josh, as host, uh, can I ask your permission to phrase a question to Blake to try and just get what we can uh, out of him? Because I, I am curious about this. Um, uh, as so, host, I grant you permission to speak. Thank you so much. Um, okay, Blake, here, here's my basic question. <clears throat> all right, because shoot. Because it, it seems like out of all of us, we mostly at least enjoyed it. And I and I know that you said that you saw the merit in the movie at least, which is good. Right. I, I, I can understand that as well. There's things that I see merit in but don't necessarily like. But do you think that there's a way to change this movie to where it hits you more? Or do you not or, – or would you personally leave it as is and just say – it's just not for me. Like if you could make some kind of a change to make it hit you more, what would that change be? Or would you just leave it as is and just kind of go, Hey, it's not for me. I think it's just not for me, but if there was a change, honestly, this is like going to sound bad, but just like take out all of the songs. I did not enjoy any of the songs in the movie. (laughs) Absolutely. And more killings. That is my complaint. Yeah. (laughs) Like I think the story and the themes and the things it's trying to say, I think are all well done and good. And I just did not enjoy any of the music at all. Like I can handle it being a musical. And yeah, I like. There are musicals that I like. Movie. Like you said earlier, yeah. Sweeney Todd. I really like Swing Time, despite it having a really awful scene about three quarters mm-hmm. of the way through. Um, mm-hmm. But like, there are musicals that I really enjoy. So it's not musicals that I don't like. It's this musical. <laughs> I think it, it was not only that, but it was also that this movie was obsessed with being a musical. I feel like there was a song every two minutes. Yeah. And it's like Disney being known for being a musical, they still don't break into song this often. I feel like this movie was very obsessed with being a musical and lingering on it even when there was no real need. Uh, Blake, I'm curious if this scene was just as like 
sigh inducing for you as it was for me the scene where the chimney sweeps get up there and are doing their little song and then after they're done singing they just dance for like another 30 minutes is what it feels like i know it's not yeah but it feels like 30 minutes the whole time i was watching that I just like my wife saw me kind of just like trying to hold back from sign because, <laughs> and then she goes, she goes, this is going on way too long. I was it like, was exactly. way too long. There was about an hour of this movie that could have been cut, and I think it would have been a lot better. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you, Blake. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't. I just like I said, I don't. I don't mean to be like hate on the movie because I again, I don't think it's a bad movie. Like it's well done, it's well made, it's fine. I'm sure, especially for the time, you know. Watching it in 2020 is a little, you know, it's hard to put it into that perspective, I guess. But Blake, we yeah, this movie was just not good. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. And you hate kids. I also hate kids, yes. <laughs> and nannies. Yeah, that's universal. <laughs> and British people. Yeah. I, I will and say ship even, captains uh, that live on top of houses. How dare you? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> My family are ship captains that live on top of houses, sir. <laughs> uh, I, I will say even uh, for... Could be a house that lives under a ship captain. It, it, I don't it's mind a, that so much. It, it's a Russian dolls <laughs> thing of, of houses and ship captains. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, oh, man, that's relevant. Um I, I will say even for like I, I enjoy this movie a lot. I'll, I'll totally grant that like that chimney sweep dance sequence went on a lot longer than it needed to. Um, though for what it's worth, I, I I don't normally like I'm not someone who like is invested in dance or pays attention to it. I found myself impressed at a fair bit of the choreography, like the stuff they were doing like between the two rooftops and like sometimes mm-hmm. they'd dangle down, sometimes they'd be hanging from it, they'd do like cartwheels. Like I thought a lot of that was like pretty well done, even for that scene going on longer than it had to. Like I thought there was at least they were showing off right. cool stuff, so it wasn't just like, All right, we've seen you guys yeah, do these same steps. Sure. I liked when they were can canning on the like <laughs> railing. I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool. How are you doing that?" <laughs> there was one thing I agree with Josh in the sense of uh, even when it was going on too long. Occasionally, I was like, "Oh, that's interesting." Not like not just from a choreography standpoint, but more of like a how they're melding choreography with practical effects yes. to achieve the look that they're actually doing something on a dance I mean, on a rooftop even yeah. though and this is not necessarily something i think too much to the movie's detriment definitely considering the age of the movie mm. um but i felt like most of the movie and i actually have this in my moat in, in my notes most of the movie sets but specifically the one with the rooftop dance scene and the chimney sweeps they look like Broadway stages. They look mm-hmm. like what you'd expect to see at a really well done Broadway stage where it's like all these things are set up and they have atmosphere, mm-hmm. but it's like that rooftop scene didn't really feel like it was suspended in air. It looked like it was a platform stage uh-huh. with a backdrop. And I mean, that's clearly what it was, but it's like they did very little to keep that from being the look it's almost like they wanted it purposefully to look like that and a lot of the movie feels like that like oh we're just kind of setting you up with this kind of we're going to do a crazy dance and sing number that Mm -hmm. you'd expect to see in broadway and by the way it's going to look like it was on broadway yeah this movie Mm -hmm. definitely made that click for me where i'm so used to viewing movies as just full-on 
being transported to another reality. I'm mm-hmm. I'm in a setting, or you know, I know it's being shot on a soundstage in many cases, but like, you know, that's either not in my mind, or at least I, I can tell that the effects are made to like look like a space. But this was one that reminded me of like, oh yeah, especially with like a lot of these dance numbers. That's kind of like what their lineage is is like stage shows. So it it makes mm-hmm. sense that it's. Um, that it's uh, what's the word? It's blocked kind of a similar way. Uh, I, I felt that for the penguin scene, honestly. Like I, I felt like, you know, with the exce- uh, with the exception of the animation effects, I felt like you know the way Dick Van Dyke was dancing and the specific stuff he was doing and like the props and the table. I felt like I could have been watching that, like you know, being performed live on stage. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I agree. But yeah, and, and song wise, uh, I, I I'm generally hesitant to dive into musicals they're not usually my thing but uh i was surprised by a fair amount of the songs there's something about uh some compositions from this area i really like if they have a little bit of like an ethereal dreamy quality to them um Mm. and ones that stood out for me were uh jolly holiday with mary um which is like the the first one as they're kind of getting into the whole animation sequence uh stay awake which is one that she sings to them while they're sleeping um and uh, obviously the you know the probably most famous classic uh let's go fly a kite uh i don't know it's fun and i enjoy that one that one kind of feels like the the disney musical version of like uh always look on the bright side of life as far as just being like just fun and like you could sing mm-hmm. it drunkenly or you could sing it with kids and it'd have the same kind of feeling yeah um on the musical thing those are the ones that i found myself being the most okay with are the ones that kind of had that uh, that dreamy, spacious sound to it, and that, and, and kind of using, not to get too much into this, but kind of occasionally falling on minor notes so that it can kind of give it a little bit more of a unexpected turn. I yes. liked those, and I found myself being like, "Oh, that was cool." They didn't have to do that, but it really gives us a little bit more nuance in a way that someone who has a little bit more appreciation for the music, like the kids, just want to hear a fun song. Mm-hmm. But if you can do something in it that gives a little bit more of an interesting flair, you're going to pick up more on it. And this is a weird, weird thing to say, but of course I have a daughter, uh, and I don't know if Blake has. Blake, have you watched Frozen 2? I have not, but the kids have a lot. Okay, so have you heard any of the songs? Because, of course, one of the things I face as a parent is my daughter wanting to listen to the Frozen 2 soundtrack and the Frozen soundtrack when we're driving. I don't know if you've had to deal with that yet. <laughs> no, I haven't had to. Usually in the car, I kind of just tell them that sorry i control the radio <laughs> so i don't have to really have to I worry about that a whole too. lot i normally do too but my wife gives in a lot so occasionally i'll be like hey you can listen to one song off the frozen 2 soundtrack and then it's back to yeah. what i want to listen to <laughs> uh but anyway uh speaking of what josh was just talking about um i'm not normally a fan of uh the musical elements of the disney animated movies uh it's just they most of the time get on my nerves but um the first song in frozen 2 is a very folklore sounding song and mm. uh i don't know if any of you have played ico but the theme yes. song for ico uh was recorded it kind of had like a native feel to it and all this stuff going on and it sounds very similar uh, in that mm. regard but it's just like a somehow the song sticks with me in a way that none of the other songs in the movie do it like it sounds out of place in the coolest way possible and there's a couple of songs in mary poppins that i feel like kind of start to strike that quality to where it's like there is a chance that I could listen to this song mm-hmm. outside of this movie and enjoy it. 
Well, hey, um, we've gone on about this for a good amount of time. I think we can start to wrap it up and maybe just touch on any remaining scenes that, you know, stick out to anybody, whether they're like favorite scenes or just, you know, ones that you hated. Chris, you got anything? No, I didn't hate anything. I Like I said, I just thought the movie was super weird. And it was about really shitty adults and really abused children. I think it's actually a modern day tragedy. <laughs> what okay. a hot take. And I don't even disagree with it. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, I started that as a joke and then I started to really believe it. <laughs> That's how a lot of things like, happen. Like the, the, those are abused children. and Everyone in this movie is bad. <laughs> I don't think you're I like easily, anyone. Uh, you're either easily assuaged into a thought process, or you're just a really good salesman. Hey, you know the ABCs, man. Always be close. <laughs> yeah. um, nice. If, All right. If no one else has something, one of the things I mentioned earlier um, that I'd, I would like to get a little more into, mm-hmm. because I am curious, uh, definitely, I, I know Blake, and it sounds like Josh uh, and, and both Chris have been more cinephile-like people uh, longer than I have. And I enjoy movies, but I've definitely not seen near as many as any of you. I know that for a fact. Um, so this is, I don't know how much y'all have, like, you know, a lot of my older movie experience just comes from my mother being a very big, uh, she loves, even though she's about to be 50, which I mean, there's no slouch, she loves even older movies. And I think that was because of growing up with my grandfather and her mom and her yeah. nanny. So, but she loves a lot of those older movies. Uh, and there's a lot of scenes. One of the things I talked about in this is that this movie wears a lot of inspiration on its sleeve. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, like I mentioned with the Willy Wonka thing, it seems to have been a reference point uh, for plenty of movies moving forward as a reference um, yeah. or an in inspiration. Um, so a couple things to that, and I'll, I'll kind of do them in segments and see if you have anything to say. One of the things uh, that I noticed is many, many older movies find themselves having a stubborn banker <laughs> who has who who is essentially made to change their ways due to an external force uh and mm. i think that the inspiration what i was kind of looking at it is like is that an inspiration from a christmas carol and i feel like there's a lot of christmas carol stuff in this it's just uh. of course you're removing it from the context of christmas so yeah uh, the dawes senior is totally there's no way he's not inspired by ebenezer scrooge absolutely no way that he's not uh, and he has a very similar arc if you really think about it I had that I had that same thought I almost looked up to see when Christmas Carol came out to see how sure, close they yeah. were because he, he seemed almost the same character and Mary Poppins is a book that I've never read so I don't know how much of an adaptation it truly is and if the movie had more carte blanche to look at other inspirations and tie into those um, but I, but even outside of A Christmas Carol I mean I feel like that's something you see a lot you see it in tons of movies uh, another one uh, that the movie I, that this movie also have a reference point to but it also just happens to be about uh, banks and bankers and how they eventually have to change their ways and I don't know if that's kind of like a classic struggle thing and that a lot of movies kind of touch on the fact that bankers uh, oftentimes exist in the sense of being the barrier between people being happy and being able to live a gainful life mm-hmm. because of uh, bad banking practices and you typically sure. see the bankers portrayed in like a sense of willing to do anything to make that extra dollar without ever thinking about the other stuff 
the effect on people. Uh, but it's a wonderful life. I don't know if you've ever seen it or if any of you have. Uh, but of course, it's a classic for many people. Yeah. Uh, and there's a scene, and of course, the movie calls it the bank run. And in this one, it does as well. Uh, when the kid, uh, the kids refuse to give the two turpins mm-hmm. uh, and it causes everybody to be like hey they're not giving this person his money i want to pull all my money out yeah um they call it the bank run like we had a run of the bank uh there's a scene that is so similar to that uh and it's a wonderful life uh where everyone is crowding into this bank and trying to get all their money out and it, it, it's it I, again it's just to me it, it looks like this movie wears a ton of older movies inspiration on its sleeve and taps into a lot of older stories I don't know if y'all had anything or any thoughts on that, but I thought that was cool. I guess I I happen to know enough older movies to kind of be like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. I I regrettably I haven't can, seen see uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and obviously I'm familiar with the story of A Christmas Carol, but um, yeah, I've never seen either yeah. one of those. Look at that, y'all getting. S- Christmas Carol is a good book. I've read on old movies over here. <laughs> I mean, unless we're talking about like uh, Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, <laughs> the student becomes the teacher. Yeah, the slave becomes the master. Um, it's honestly weird in that regard because a lot of the older movies I've seen are foreign films compared to American mm. films. So That is interesting. I mean, and I only say that because that means that it seems, I, I, I doubt I'm wrong in assuming that that's not because you grew up with people who watched old foreign films. It's that you had your own interest in old foreign films, so you just seek them out and watch them. Yeah. Well, I um, you know, I started getting not to go off too much of a tangent, but when I started really getting into like film, like older stuff and cinema, just in general, I uh, you started the Criterion Collection and the Criterion Channel, mm-hmm. and that they have a lot of foreign films, so that helps in that regard. Sure. I'm really into foreign classics like the Monty Python movies. Yeah, that's (laughs) the only one I've seen. But I've seen it 20 (laughs) times, so. Yeah. Which one? (laughs) All of them. (laughs) It's a super cut. (laughs) I just put them all back to back. The Monty Python movies are hilarious. They're so good. I've actually only seen The Holy Grail, and it was a long time ago. That is a fantastic movie. (laughs) You know what? I've only seen up to Biggest Diggus of whichever one that Interesting. is. Interesting. We might have to yeah. visit some of those in the future. Absolutely, we do. For sure. Uh, I don't have that. anything else to say about this movie. Sorry. <laughs> I am super comfortable with the jokes I have made today. I, I am super weary of Chris's comfort in those jokes, but uh, Brett, take it away. Uh, <laughs> these are pretty quick things at this point. Uh, but one thing I noticed that we didn't touch on with this being uh, one of the older movies that we've done, mm-hmm. um, uh, really it's the oldest movie we've done, um, definitely with Disney, I wonder what was the catalyst for them moving credits from being up front before you watch the movie to mm-hmm. being afterwards. Because if you watch all of the uh, classic Disney animated movies, mm-hmm. uh, they always have all the animators and everything, bam, front and center. Yeah. Uh, and it was almost like, hey, you know, these people spent a long time on this movie. We want to give them credit before you even watch what it is that they did. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's that at that point in time, teams were small enough that that was justifiable. And now credits have gotten so long that people don't want to wait 10 minutes before getting into the movie. Or 
is it just our attention span as viewers to where we don't want anything to stop us from watching the movie so they found that way to integrate at least the most important people like director and the lead actor and maybe the lead supporting actor or actress and bam then you're in the movie you know Hmm. yeah it almost like it's probably a attention span thing because they seem to do it well in this movie because i didn't notice but i would imagine like if every movie did it like i would just turn off some movies like belco experiment would have shut it off (laughs) and that's not even an indictment of the movie that's just like it was a movie that i wanted to watch but i didn't I wasn't like looking to watch it. Do you know what I mean? So like if I'd thrown it on and the movie started with 10 (laughs) minutes of credits, I'd be like, okay, fuck this. I'm going to go watch another uh, episode of the air. You know who did it? Well, like Spider-Man. Yeah, they did. Credits. Yeah, it's gotta be cool. That's like all time greats as far as credits. That is true. And that's you don't think about it because of the way that it was done. I guess it's just weird that you very, very rarely see any form of credit before a movie starts these days. I would bet, because I think a lot of things have to be stylized, right? And a lot of movies don't necessarily lend themselves to the same kind of style. Whereas, like, Spider-Man and Almost Mary Poppins were kind of campy. So, like, a jokey, you know, like a super 90s, like... Yeah, they're very similar <laughs> movies. But an intro like Spider Man very heavily steeped in nineteen ninety. I mean, listen, culture. they <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of self actualization. <laughs> well, I was whatever. I was speaking more towards Spider Man and unrequited father well, feelings. Yeah. <laughs> J. Jonah think, Jameson was in both. I think you're onto something, though. I, I but the other thing I think, and and the more I'm thinking about it as you're talking about it, I kind of realize like. If they would have done the credit sequence before the lighthouse, I don't think I would have batted an eye. I wouldn't even have thought of it. Mm. Be- no, if the whole thing of them just swaying for five minutes had credits going over it, I would have been. It, super it seems okay weird, with that. but it's almost like I think we give it a pass. I think it feels right for some movies. So I guess maybe we've all seen old enough movies that did it. And if the movie has a feeling of like, ah, oh, this is like. It's not that it's dated, but it feels like it rests alongside other movies that are from that time era that it can get away from it. Like something about every stylistic aspect of The Lighthouse, I could have totally watched uh, credits that were just going, overlaying like a shot of the boat moving forward. You just watched her as the boat was coming forward, mm-hmm. you just saw credits going. There wouldn't have been uh, near for, as many credits though, because there was like three people in the movie. Yeah. Well, sure, but it's not even about actors as much as it is, like, you know, how much of the crew is involved with that. That's one of the big things. Like, you know, used to, uh, on an animated movie, a team of about 15 animators did it, 20 animators, maybe, maybe 30 to 50. And that's really easy to put in a credits where you're showing 10 names per little thing and then flipping 10 names. You can get through that pretty quickly. But if you look at the average credit sequence for a movie, you're talking hundreds of hundreds oh yeah i didn't mean that like they would only show the actors Mm -hmm. i just meant that like that would cut it down significantly because there is only three people in it yeah Um, you know what i'm i'm also wondering right now that we're talking about it if movies did this i bet we wouldn't notice if If they did what did it because 
if well, every yeah, movie it did it, even even if then. not every movie, but seventy five percent. Yeah, sure. If it, if it was the norm, I, th- I could see that. I, but it's just I, uh, my big question was what was the catalyst that had it to be I, where ninety nine percent probably mm-hmm. of movies these days do not show the credits up front anymore. They're almost always after. Well, if only Disney put credits before all of their movies, it would be like ninety nine percent of movies. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if it's to get you to. Uh, to put down your phone quicker i know that seems like a very mm. modern thing but if the action starts with credits you're more likely to sit on Keeps your phone for a around. second whereas like yeah if the movies if there's no if the movie starts and the screen goes black and you're there and you're in you probably put it down whereas if the screen you know starts flashing names and spiders and 311 you're not going to be paying as much attention to the movie you're going to be paying attention to your phone because you have that minute well does anybody think it might also have something to do with the fact that i think back in the day of course there were movie stars but there were so fewer of them and they were treated differently i think what some of it might have been that back in the day there was more of a reverence for the the film crew and the animators and the only actors that really normally would get mentioned in the credits would be the the top build actor like you know it'd be like cary grant and whoever this other person is like you know normally that's how it would work out <laughs> i can't think of another game mm-hmm. name off the top of my head for some reason but uh but that's that's my point is like you know you could go uh, mary poppins if you even look at it the two actors that are really referenced um, almost immediately are julie andrews and dick van dyke that's like they're the two top billed main actors and then we still show you the rest of the production crew and all the people that were able to make this movie happen more so than just the crazy celebrities whereas now movies are so celebrity packed when they used to not be you know you had people who were just they were they weren't big name actors but they still got in movies uh and now it's like every movie has to have 10 huge celebrities in it to I guess they think that to get people to come watch them, that if not more, so you could be like, well, you know, you're watching The Expendables. We have to have at least 30 names of the craziest action stars you've ever known before you can, you know. I just wonder if it's like that. Yeah. Is it because as a society, we've gotten to where we revere the actors more than the creators? And Definitely. I think that that's Absolutely. something. I wouldn't even. Quick add on to that. Uh, yeah, think- sorry, go ahead if you were finishing your thought. Go ahead. I mean, I just think it's I just think it's uh, almost unequivocal that we do that. There's a reason that you you know who George Clooney is dating, but you don't know who the guy who holds the boom <laughs> mic is dating. You know, it's kind of the same thing where we care more about the front-facing sure. people. So it's almost a sad thing that we lost that because it would be nice to know. I want to know who the boom mic guy is dating. Just right in the middle <laughs> of the movie, just fucking a credit scene. <laughs> A quick intermission. intermission. <laughs> Only if it's someone watching the entire yeah, credit scene on an Apple Watch, and the camera is like <laughs> from their perspective as they look down at their wrist. Uh, you know, that is a, a bit of a joke, but I actually think I was going to say that I think that it'd be really interesting to see people do that, like try and have it to where every movie has an interactive way of still showing the full credits before you watch the movie. Like, hmm. I wonder if if. if people started experimenting with that so as crazy as josh's mm. little thing was like what if somebody <laughs> did that what if somebody had like a scene yep. where like in the scene you see an apple watch and there's other stuff that's happening and like you maybe you're seeing somebody going on a jog and the camera is focused on their arm and you're seeing it and it moves in sync with the camera but you see the the credits rolling through that while this person moves and in the background 
you're seeing something that's giving your mind something to look at. Like, you know, you're seeing change in people walking by, running by. You're seeing a change in scenery in the background. Would people go for that? Or would people be like, what in the fuck are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, quick thing that I found online. Uh, Apocalypse Now went so far as to not feature the title or opening credits at all. Um, but I, I, I guess huh. one of the main things is like you, you've got like the title and credits and, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, you start with one or the other as far as like older movies. But it looks like George Lucas has popularized. I, I'm just reading this. It's sort of like a cutout of the Wikipedia article sure. on this. Uh, George Lucas is credited with popularizing this with his Star Wars films, which only display the film's title at the start. His decision to omit opening credits in his Star Wars films and The Empire Strikes Back, uh, sorry, his films Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, led him to resign from the Directors Guild of America after being fined $250,000 for not crediting the director during the opening (laughs) title sequence. Um, Good lord. And then there are notable examples that well precede this, like Citizen Kane and West Side Story, which did not have opening credits. Uh, but it looks like it became especially popular to just not do opening credits with like the 80s blockbusters like Ghostbusters 2, Lethal Weapon, The Abyss. Um, but yeah. A little bit of using the internet for stuff other than cat videos and porn. You cut out Whoa. for a long time there, but we'll take it. <laughs> yep, no, I was about to say the same thing, and then I cat videos it was for you, for you to go be like, yeah. "Oh, '80s action movies like Ghostbusters 2. cat, <laughs> like a long silence, cat, cat videos of porn." I can't wait to find out what you said. Don't tell us. We're gonna find out in the podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the the better thing to note is that for some people, those two categories are one category. Um, and with that, <laughs> oh whoa! Oh. <laughs> I love how you just tried to gloss over that really quick so nobody would notice. <laughs> so with that, I feel like we can wrap Rewind. up the episode. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> uh, yeah, play it backwards. See if it says anything about Paul being dead. Um, so yeah, oh. I feel like we. <laughs> One more reference that I, I, I'm really curious because I don't think, I think Josh said he hasn't seen it and I don't know about Chris. Blake, I know you've watched The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I love The Wizard of Oz. Am, am I yeah. crazy for feeling like the scene where the wind comes and drags all the nannies yes. away it's like feels the tornado so scene. much? Yes. It, dude, I was watching that. I and thought, that's the, same, I thought the same like, exact thing. I'm glad. See, I, like I said, this yeah. movie is very inspired by uh, by cinema before it. I didn't even think That's of really it cool. until you just said it, but yeah, it's, when they were all like picked up and thrown away, because it's all the same, I guess, effects that they would have used with the Wizard of Oz, even though it was you yeah. know twenty thirty years before, but the wires and stuff, you sure. know, it looked very yeah. much the same. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, go ahead and go ahead and wrap her up, Can Josh. We? I'm sorry. I just I, I was going through my notes to make sure I didn't miss anything. It's the only thing I'd missed on my notes. But okay, but not a single person acknowledges that an entire an entire busload of women flew away <laughs> like that that is well, nobody like saw them fly away, insane right? the movie kind of touches on that uh mr banks tells uh, the nanny to go and dismiss all the other women and say and that she the shoes off a position dog. had been filled and she just <laughs> opens the door sees a dog and it's like the position has been filled slam and the dog's like Fuck also shit the dog is uh, the somehow the dog being in that scene also made me think of the wizard of oz i was like it's toto yeah. mm. essentially yeah well 
You guys do realize the dog was sentient, oh right? Oh my god. The, the dog was the other character Dick Van Dyke played. <laughs> the dog. It, it took him three hours to get in and out of makeup each day. Yeah. Very versatile actor. You know what I mean? Well, anyway, I, I feel like that's about as much as oh, we can boy. say in nearly as much runtime as the movie Mary Poppins itself. No, we're still um, have we really been shy. talking for that long? <laughs> We've been going for. Uh, mine's at a yeah, hour same. forty-eight. Ooh. Well, the movie well, anyway, was like four and a half hours, so we still I think got there's like time. we got some editing to do, boys. Don't <laughs> whoa, worry. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> Don't forget the yeah, look forward to do. the Snyder cut of this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we released the Snyder cut indoors. specifically on Patreon. <laughs> that's fine. That, that's why Chris and I are making this separate show, so we can kind of be the sacrificial yeah. lamb to those people. Uh, but anyway, yeah. You want to hear about me just talk about what I wish BVS was? An entirely different movie that didn't star in That's what same. BVS was really missing is Mary Poppins. Mm. Yes. Dude, Mary Poppins would have done more than Batman did in the last fight. I'll tell you that much. Uh, anyway. Like, oh, we're going to go into cartoons and smudge the picture. What the fuck are you talking about? Sorry. Continue. Yeah, just, just give Superman some MK Ultra and uh, your alien problem is solved. Well, I had a lot of fun discussing this movie and discussing completely not this movie with you guys. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's about as much as there is to say on this one. I think, uh, among other things, we can wrap up this episode by handing off to, I believe Blake is next to select a movie for what we're watching next week. Yes, I am. Are y'all ready? We're going to go with the town. The Ben Affleck classic. Oh, yes. So I've heard such great things about it, but I've not watched it. So I'm excited. Mm, So good. (laughs) I just watched BBS. I'm down for more Ben Affleck. Is this the movie I've heard where he has a terrible accent? (laughs) It is a beautiful accent. (laughs) I I don't think so because Ben Affleck is definitely from Boston. We'll see what happens. Like let, let's not get it twisted. Boston accents are terrible. <laughs> Just in general, but <laughs> but Ben Affleck doing a Boston accent is pretty. I'm good. gonna clip out you saying just that and for a uh, quote bad. tweet it to Bill Burr. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bill Burr would agree with me. Anyway, uh, well, cool. I think that's about as much as there is for this episode. Other than uh, just a little bit of housekeeping, which uh, Brett is well versed in. I will lead off with that. If you like the show and you're listening to it on a podcast service that gives you the opportunity to leave a review, please do so. It lets us know what you do like about the show, what you don't like so much about the show, so that we can learn and change the show to be better for us and better for you. As well as, of course, letting someone else know if the show is worth their time. That's the biggest thing. Uh, We are foregoing YouTube, so unless you really want this for some reason to be on YouTube in just a video still format, let us know. Otherwise, you can find us on Twitter, specifically for the movie podcast at matinee underscore midweek uh, you can find our parent channel that we do this under which is Nartech uh, on Twitter at Nartech uh, and of course if you want to listen to me and my buddy Saul uh, talk about PlayStation and gaming as a whole you can find us every week on Monday under the Triangle Squared banner uh, that you can find on YouTube in video format or on uh, iTunes and Spotify and all the other ones uh, in, video, in audio only format and lastly we'd like to uh, ask you if you like the show and you like what we're doing here uh, consider supporting us on on Patreon, where for just as little as a dollar a month, uh, you can get this show actually a week 
earlier than everyone else, as well as some other stuff if you liked the other podcasts. So we thank you. And uh, one thing I'm going to start doing, but I can't do it right now, is I'm going to start adding the Patreon read-off to the end of these episodes so that they could get on like they're supposed mm. to be. Uh, but I will start with that next week so I can have everything ready to do so. But thank you, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> I don't have a joke for the end of this one. Sorry, guys. you failed me. MK Ultra. So you uh, know, at least you got that going for you. Yeah, I just spit uh, like another crazy question. When I talk. Yikes! <laughs> <laughs> me too. What's up, Josh? Uh, just remind me uh, not to go anywhere near Blake's mic uh, pop filter. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I think I've been wondering filter? about. I just have a cup to catch all the saliva. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you drink it afterward to like stay rehydrated? <laughs> okay. Or? Yeah, sir. I, was gonna I, say. I doth protest. <laughs> Because I, I mean, I, I hear my beer. Uh, more beer, dude. Yikes! I, I hear gamer fluids are a popular commodity on the internet. Bath fluids, <laughs> not spit. Yep. Well, I guess mm-hmm. spit would probably sell too. Actually, well, I think it's gamer girl fluids. I don't necessarily know that anybody has a wanting for gamer boy fluids. I, just, I don't think that that's a. I, I hope that's. So, a, I don't know, dude. A fledgling yeah, market. She's like Steve. I, she puts me in these like weird saran wrap suits and then just drinks all my sweat and shit. <laughs> hello looker and congratulations you have discovered the secret message midweek matinee is produced and edited by christopher figueroa music is by joshua lago thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us and lastly please send your itunes reviews to old pink care of the funny farm